Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your sons or daughter, nor your male and female servant, nor your animals, or, nor any foreigners residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord is blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Acts 2, 42-47 They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the, the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thanks, Simon, for those readings. Uh, we'll be working through those, so get your little nimble fingers in your Bible and probably in your phone Bible ready, and I'll call them out as we get there. Um, tonight we're going to look at, we're continuing on our theme of Better Together, and tonight our topic is Better Together in Worship. And I just want to both encourage you that I'm preaching on it and scare you that it was the subject I continued to fail at Bible College. So let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, with that knowledge and... Uh, we pray that you would be with us tonight, that you would open our minds, hearts and lives to the transformational truth of your holy word and the conviction and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live it out. In Jesus' name. Amen. So you might be just a little bit scared as I announced the fact that uh, it was the subject in which I'd, I'd failed. I'd done very well in Theology 1, but when I got to Theology 2... I was on a bandwagon. Now, there's a reason why I struggled with this subject. Because I had a very fixed mindset of what the Bible said about worship. And I know what the examiners wanted me to do. They wanted me just to write about church. And the papers that we submitted, I did my college studies at one particular college. But the examining board was a national board known as the Australian College of Theology. And they sent our papers all over the place. So it might have been marked by a Baptist, it might have been marked by a, uh, a traditional Anglican, it might have been marked by a Presbyterian. So there's all kind of theological nuances out there, but I was on the bandwagon of what I believed and I decided it was my 
duty on several occasions. I just thought, I even wrote evangelistic essays just in the, in the fact that some ratbag out there might not know Jesus to give their life to Christ. And so I was not a zealot for what I believed was true. And therefore, the marks didn't add up to 50 when I really wanted them to when it came to the topic of worship. And the reason is this. They wanted me to write about church services. What we do on a Sunday is a subset, one part of what the Bible says about worship. Now, let me tell you what I was sharing with the examiners in great enthusiasm and often in capital letters and sometimes underlined was this. I would write invariably this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. That's the motivation for being a Christian and why we do what we do. It's not being terrified about God. It's not being fearful of his judgment. It's not being thought that if we don't do the right thing on the balance of scales, when we die, the scales are going to tip the wrong way and we're going to get tipped off into the fry pan. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, that's the motivational trigger for everything we do in life, to offer your bodies or your lives as a living sacrifice. That we live a life that's sacrificial in the name of Jesus, that we walk every day in every way as we move out on a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, doesn't matter what it is. We move out and say, I want to live a sacrificial life. I want to live a life that denies myself and honours Christ. I want to put God first. I want to, everything I have, I submit to Jesus and I die to myself and live for him. To offer our bodies or our lives as a living sacrifice and it is holy. That means it is separated and, and reserved for God. It's pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I loved emphasizing that part, which irritated some of them. Uh, this is your true and proper worship. So, the word worship is actually a compound of two, uh, two words. It means worship. We show forth the worth of God. That's what it means to worship him. Are we catching that? We worship him. How do we show the worth of God in your life? Yes, Sunday is a part of it, and I want to talk about that, an incredibly important part of it. But it's not the whole picture. The way that we live our lives on a daily basis, you worship God as much on Monday at uni that you do on Sunday at church. Do you not know that? Is that new information to you? Because we show forth the work of God in the office. We show forth the work of God on the building site. We show forth the worth of God in our relationships. We show forth the word of God on the, on the soccer field. Now, that's a challenge, of course. Uh, <laughs> great challenge. But we show forth the worth of God. So that's what it means to show the worth of God in our lives, his, the worship. So grab Exodus. We're going to trot through some Bible passages. We're into Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. And we're being reminded that of the 10 things that God wanted his covenant people, these aren't commands to get you into heaven. You know that? Is that new information? These are commands written to God's people so that their lives and community would be ordered according to God's will. And so God is saying here, remember the Sabbath day or their seventh day and keep it holy. I'm at chapter 20 of Exodus if you want to look it up. I'm reading in the NIV version. Get yourself Bible Gateway on your, uh, on your phone if you haven't. 
Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy or separate or special for God. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Not for you, not a self-pleasing day, not I'm going to forget God and just do my own thing day. One day is separated and dedicated to God. Then it goes on, uh, verse 11, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy or special or separate. Now, there's a principle and a priority here. There's a principle and a priority that we, in the rhythm of life, as we go through life, I believe that we live day to day. We also live week to week, month to month, year to year, and decade to decade. And so as we go through the rhythm of weeks, God says, time out. We need time out. You need time out to rest and be restored. You need time to be recreated. And a part of the rhythm of the week is that we need to take time out to worship God together. Yes, we worship God in the way that we live our daily lives. We show forth the worth of God. Sunday is a part of that. But we need to take time out to do that. I believe it's an important principle and an important priorities that you are weekly in worship. Weekly in worship, wherever possible. Sometimes it's not possible. But I want to challenge you to make it a priority. I did some research into this and drilled into Mark McCrindle's uh, fabulous research, first-class research, on sociology and, the, and Christianity and faith and all kinds of things. And I asked, uh, got in the, in the search engine and put in... Um, regularity of church attendance and I ignored the Australian statistics about what the community did didn't matter I want to know what Christians do so it said of Christians these are the people that that, that proclaim that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Saviour and follow him of people who call themselves Christians on the general principle of what is their goal? What is the rhythm of their life? How often you know, is, there, is there purpose and intention and the general rhythm, and I know there are exceptions, but the general rhythm of their life to be weekly in worship, of all Christians, 22%. 22% regard weekly worship as their rhythm. 78% of people who claim to follow Jesus have a much less important aspect. I'm not talking about things that crop up. I'm talking about the general commitment and principle. I'm probably talking to the converted because I see most of you here most weeks. But isn't that amazing? It used to be, in your grandparents' generation, it was just all the time. And often, if you talk to really old Christians in this church, it was twice on a Sunday, morning and night. The night was an evangelistic service called the Gospel Service. It went hard. The morning was their communion service. And so I just want to put a challenge out to you. I just want to put it out there. I want to say that you, you know, as we're better together in worship, that, you know, we need to prioritise and make a principle of separating, of, of, of putting it aside and doing that. And so I find that when I'm in, on holidays and I'm not being the minister of a church, almost invariably... I want to go and find some bunch of Christians somewhere and I couldn't care less what the signboard was over the top of the church. I just want to wander in and hang out with Christians. You know? I worship with the Anglicans and the Pentecostals and the Pestecostals and the Baptists and whatever's floating around. I don't care. Believers. just want to stop. I want to stop. 
I don't want to worship God. I go to worship God. But we also go to build each other up in the Lord. Now we're going to go to Psalm 100. We're heading off to Psalm 100. It talks about the kind of enthusiasm we have when we're coming to church. Psalm 100. God, I love this psalm. So we've made a priority. We've made a principle. We understand the importance of the challenges out there to increase your regularity because we need each other. We're better together in worship. We actually need each other. We're a body. We belong together. We're connected together. I'll talk more about that in a minute. It says here now, this is a bit of a test for you. As I read this out, is this your attitude to coming on a Sunday? Are you ready? So as you're walking up, I imagine yourself walking down Bridgestrap or down Wyala here and you're heading toward the building, right? Does this describe your Sunday mindset? Are you ready? When you walk in the place, is this how you're wired up? Are you ready for it? This is your own test. It says, shout, to the, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is good. It's he that has made us. We are his and his people. We're the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates, the temple gates, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give Thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Is that you? <laughs> Do you come wired? Do you come loaded? Do you come ready? Do you come anticipated? I believe that we need to have the right attitude. We need to have anticipation and attitude and expectation. They're three things. How's your attitude? Is it like that? Have you got an attitude like that? We come to church like this. I'm running late. Oh, oh. Five o'clock. The band starts in faith most weeks. They just believe in Jesus. People haven't been killed in some catastrophic accident that somehow people will turn up to church. The band just looks at me and I look at them and Josh looks at me and Josh looks at the band and I just say, just start. Because as far as I can work out, there's the band and me and Ben and the Holy Spirit and God the Father and God the Son. We're in the building but not many other people are in the building. I want to challenge you to make a priority. We need to get here early. I want everybody, just like you are, five minutes before church. Let's come with anticipation. Let's come and in the time before church, we can be encouraging each other and engaging with each other. And that we need to come with anticipation. And if you come flat, you might come, Lord, I'm as flat as a tack, but I want to come. I want to worship you. I want to lay my life out of you. I want to be filled again with the Holy Spirit. I want to be empowered to go out and be different. Come in whatever mindset you're in, but come ready to receive. Come with open hearts and open minds and open souls. Our attitude, our expectation is most important. And it is reflected. It is reflected in our uh, punctuality. You know, we, don't want, we won't miss the train, even though it's now driverless and somewhat slightly scary. My wife went on the driverless train this afternoon, took Remington to the pictures. I haven't seen her since. That's faith in a train without a driver. Josh, come up here. You're our worship pastor. Get up here, bro. What's going on? I'm going to ask Josh, Pastor Josh, a couple of questions here because he's got this whole thing down, the Sunday experience. Do I? Yeah, well, I hope so. I pay you to. <laughs> now, Josh, 
Yeah. I've got these tough questions for you. Yes. Which we've rehearsed. Um, <laughs> how does singing together enhance somebody's spiritual life? Great question. Um, I think first and foremost, um, singing together, it breeds unity. You know, I think when we're looking, we're in a, a consistently and continuously less Christian society. Yeah, we yep. uh, we're in a post-Christian society, actually, mm-hmm. where fewer and fewer dedicated followers of Jesus are out there, um, becoming increasingly secular. Um, and it's hard. It's hard being a Christian. It's hard having your your colours nailed to that mask saying, I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what. This is what I stand for. These are my values. This was the, the, the way that I live my life, the way that I treat other people, the way that I treat my finances, the way that I treat my family, the way that I treat everything is by the Bible and through Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's increasingly hard to do so. And it's one of the things that we, that's so good when we sing is just to know that we're not alone. It's one of, the th- one of the few things that we collectively do collectively. You know, we, when we're praying, it's up to you whether you want to kind of lean in or kind of, or, or um, you know, there's different elements that sort of happen in different sections. But in terms of collectively, this is, our, this is what we're nailing our, our colors to. You know, when it's like to worship you, I live, to live, to worship you, we're all singing that together. We're, we're doing deep, deep, deep community building and unity building um, at a level that, that isn't often um, you know, manifested in other places. And so it's so good to know that, that we're not alone in this, in this race, in this fight to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and secondly, a, a great way of why it's so good for our spiritual life is, I think, for those who don't know, I'm a pediatric occupational therapist. And so um, I, I learn about how music influences children and, and the way that people develop uh, and how children develop. And we, we learn so much about our our language, our culture, our communication, you know, through the songs that we sing that our mother and our parents sang to us, nursery rhymes, you know. We, we learn language, we learn things through music and through singing. And so what's happening at a deep, deep cognitive level is we're actually learning solutions to live our life by. We're learning scriptural, hopefully, and if I'm doing my job right, theologically correct and, and solid, um, but really deep, um, learning of who God is and what it is to follow Jesus. And we're, and we're building unity and we're learning in that way. Mm. And it's so good for our spiritual health. You said this, you said this morning that um, there's not a culture on earth that doesn't communicate it, its, its lifeline through song. Absolutely. There's not a culture. There's the, you think of the indigenous culture, the, the Jews, the way that uh, there's, a, there's a passage in, um, I think, uh, in Nehemiah where they would read the word and the, the, the and after reading after the prophet Ezra read the word that they just mm. bowed down and worshipped together collectively, um, and the word was translated through song. The Torah that they that they sing is is actually a sung thing. It's a whole massive song. Everybody translates and passes on culture, passes on heritage, passes on who we are, our identity through song. There's not a culture on earth that doesn't do that. Um, and we're no different as Christians. That this songs that we sing, how great is our God? Name above all names, worthy of all praise. You know, my heart will sing, how great is our God? Like things that you know, there is no one else but me um, for me, <laughs> none but Jesus. You know, uh, little little lines that transcend 
generation to generation to generation. I've decided to follow Jesus. These old hymns, these modern songs are the way that we pass on the faith to, that we learn the faith from our forebears, the people that have gone before us. Um, You've got to get along to the morning congregation, like the service once again, like this is better together. If you haven't already, like I highly, highly, highly recommend coming along to the morning service and getting alongside some of the people and hearing them sing those hymns of old like it just does something to my soul and, and will do something to yours when you sing with them. And when and if you get to know their story, get to know their heart and why that song means so much to them, it, it takes a whole new different light. Mm. Um, and that's, that's the passing on of our faith, the passing on of what it means to us, the passing on of our culture mm. um, through song. Um, some of us can't sing very well and... Um... Uh, we sound more like the victory after the game locker room uh, drone, really. Uh, does it uh, does it matter? Does it matter if we can't? What if we, if we can't sing? If we go, if people have actually, has everyone been told you can't sing? Well, I've been told that, you know. <laughs> and so, does it matter if you can't sing? What happens if you just if you're pretty hopeless at it? Do you just be quiet so that those that can sing sing? And what what's the story? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, I had a confession to make to the AM congregation that for a musical director that you employed me to be, uh, I actually can't read music. <laughs> I'm actually not that musical. But by God's grace, um, I'm able to play a guitar and sing whatever that I can sing, and hopefully it points people to Jesus. Um, and that's no different to you. That doesn't matter whether you can hold a, your, your tune or, or pitch or whatever it is, you can sing as off-key as, as you like. It's not about the output. It's about the attitude of your heart. God looks at the heart, and it's not about that showiness or, or, or nailing it. it. It's all about how you are to show God's worth to you, what he's worth to you. So sing. I want to hear, way, I want to see, I want to hear the off-key voices. I want to hear a sea of off-key voices. I don't care. I love, it when, I love it when the voices drown out the band, you know? Yeah. And it's pretty hard to do when James is on sound because he just pumps it. Yeah. But um, the challenge is there. Um, but the challenge is there and, and the encouragement is there. Come, mm. let us sing for joy to the Lord. Mm. Yeah, so the Bible says make a joyful noise. Make a joyful no, noise. Tuneful maybe. Tuneful Tune- optional. 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 Tuneful, yeah, joyful, joyful not so much. Absolutely. Look, we draw on a, on a broad range of songs here. You've already alluded to that with the latest hits and the greatest memories. Uh, what do you think is the next stage of development for us as a church when it comes to our music ministry? I think, yeah, what I said to the ch- congregation this morning is that the marker for the greatest hits and, and, and old classics and, and new upcoming kind of edge, it, it's shifting with time. Um, and I'm... I'm Things that I brought into when I first started in my role, I first started worship leading, I thought, oh, this is going to be great. And at the forefront of, of where we're breaking new ground into worship, you know, it's actually old news. <laughs> I'm um, 32. <laughs> um, and um, wow. I think things, that culture has shifted. But I think what's really important for us moving forward is that we draw from the history of our past. Yeah. Um, we appreciate the hymns of old. We learn from them in terms of the stories of, of what was written and why in the context. It gives you such a greater understanding to then break new ground and to see what God's doing in fresh and what's God doing new. And the big challenge for us is to actually, our, our worship team 
doesn't have a separate vision to the church church's no. vision. No. We we aim to be a striving. We're striving to be thriving all age cross cultural um, and church within our own team. Uh, and how that's translated in, in in song, in music, in creative, in creative spaces is 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 a challenge for us. And that next step is going to be okay, God. How do we how do we continue to 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 minister to all ages, all cultures, um, mm. and and foster a deep sense of unity? It, it, I, I wish I could have a definitive answer for what it looks like, but I think if we're hungry as a church for for upholding and 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 striving for that vision to be fulfilled, I think we're in a good place. Mm. Um, yeah. Sorry for that. Okay. Yeah. As our music pastor, what's one thing you want us to uh, leave with us to think about tonight as we we move on? The thing that I, I mentioned to yeah, congregation this morning is thankfulness. I'm I, I of all the things I could think of, I could I could say, yep, you got to be here, you got to show and be. I've already said that, you've, but you've already said that, uh, so you've taken that from me. But <laughs> above all, thankfulness. Enter his great gates with thanksgiving. I mean, we have so much to be thankful for, guys. And I think having a, a you have, one of the great th- things that I learned from you, so many of your little catchphrases, you know, what, what shifts, you know, stinking thinking. We often get down in the dumps of our, you know, our, our, our flight of, to, to follow Jesus and overwhelmed with the realities of life. And, um, but you said, whatever, what fixes stinking thinking is an attitude of gratitude. Yeah. And we have so much to be thankful for here. Um, we, have, we have so much to be thankful that we get the freedom to, to meet in this space. We have, we're, we're so thankful. I have so much to be thankful for in terms of the way that we can have an intimate space to worship together. That we have actual musicians, incredible musicians to lead us in this space um, week after week. That we have each other to share the challenge with and wrestling with what it is to uphold and, and to live out this vision as a church. Um, and I think when we're thankful that it shifts the thoughts of, oh, the grass is greener on the other side, or it shifts the, oh, my time on a Sunday, uh, do I get there on time? I'm just so thankful that I get to be a part of it that I just want to be here and I want to give God my all every week. Mm. Pastor Josh, thanks very much. He's a man that leads out of his heart and his soul, and um, that's why he's so good at what he does. Look up Acts chapter 2. We're going to list, list a few things here. Acts chapter 2, flick it up. Just going to run down a short list here. Moving on to a few things. Things that the early church did. Look from verse 42 on. What are they? The, there were core activities of the early church. We're going to do some interact. Have a look. It's there. Acts chapter 2, look it up and give it to me. What was the church dedicated itself to? It dedicated itself to about four or five things. What were they? Call them out. Pick one. Teaching. Teaching. Apostles teaching. Yep. Give me another one. Prayer. Prayer. Give me another one. Fellowship. Fellowship. Give me another one. Breaking of bread. bread. Anything else? Give me another one. Slightly more obscure. Look, look, it's there. Yes, meeting needs. These are, these are the core activities of what the early church did. It was about fellowship. It was about the Lord's Supper. It was about prayer. It also, when you read the book of Acts, it was all about the gospel. They were forever preaching the gospel and baptizing people. They were about meeting needs, having those fellowship. You know, they met in homes and they met in temples. Now, I just need to tell you this. The early church didn't have church buildings. 
This is a rain shelter. It's not the church. The church, the Bible is very clear, is the people of God. The people of God are the church. This is a rain shelter. This is not the church. This is not Epping Church of Christ. This is Epping Church of Christ, the body of Christ. And so what the Bible talks about when it talks about the church is it talks about the people of God. There were no church buildings for two and a half centuries. None. There were no Christian buildings. They didn't have them. They didn't meet in purpose-built churches. They eventually, as the church grew, built some. But they never confused the building with the people. The people are the church. Just read to you this article. The early church had no purpose-built Christian places of worship. The earliest archaeological identified Christian church was a house, a converted house church, founded in 233 and 256 AD, two and a half centuries down the track. In the second half of the third century, the first purpose-built hall for Christian meeting was constructed. The early church was organic, not some great organisational. It was intimate as opposed to institutional. It met in this relational way, in this relational space. It met in all kinds of places and contexts. Christian sociologists in recent decades have done a lot of research into how people like to gather together in clusters and groups. What sizes work best? for clusters and groups. And so we tend to use these kind of things in organising the church. I want to put some up here on the, uh, on the screen. People like to meet in cafes or restaurants or something like that. And we meet in twos or threes. And what we tend to do in those places is we have purposeful catch-ups. We have mentoring sessions. We catch up with people that we're concerned about. We have a bit of pastoral care. That's best done in with twos or threes or a very small group of people. So we kind of meet in that sense. So there's that really tiny, intimate catching up with other people. I have a number of these meetings regularly with various people. Then the next thing, these will start with C because my generation loves to talk in that kind of structure. (laughs) Then there's the cell. We call these the life group. And they tend to typically be six, because less than that makes it a little bit naff. And more than that makes it a little bit too difficult to share, right? So they tend to be in that 6 to 12 range. And so people meet with that. And so I think it's a great goal in a church to have a church that's filled with these kind of life groups. There we do life. There we study the scripture. There we share our hearts and our journeys. There we we pray for each other and care for each other. And we are a Christian community gathered in places and especially in people's homes. Then there's congregating groups that are typically about 18 or so and beyond that, and they are stage and age groups. They meet for a purpose. We've got one coming up in the calendar of the church. What is it coming up in the calendar of the church? It was announced in announcements. This will tell me if you're listening. Gems coming up, all right? That's a typical That's a typical age and stage thing. The youth group is a typical age and stage thing. Men ministry, men's camps, young adults activities. These are the kinds of things where people in similar age and stage, they get together and they meet. And that's a rich, unifying experience. Then we have the celebration experience. And it's interesting. Christian sociologists say you really need to have more than 35 people or more in a space to make it feel like there's a group gathering. 
That's really interesting. I've been thinking about that for about 20 years, and I believe it to be true. Some call it the rule of 40. Others say 35. But this is when so. We've got all these substructures. This is what the church like is, looks like when it meets together on a Sunday. It's all of those things. To me, that looks like a Petri dish full of bacteria. No, a pizza. You're very good. That's much kinder than a Petri dish full of... It looks like a pizza. The pizza principle of church. It's full. You see what happens is we've been meeting in clusters. We've been meeting in cells. We've been meeting in, in congregating groups of ages and stages and similarity. And we gather together. And so that's what the church looks like when we gather on a Sunday. It's a, an amalgam of all these things. And notice this. Notice the overlaps. Notice the overlaps. And so some people uh, meet in twos and threes, purposeful meeting and catching up and checking how they're going. And they also meet in their cells and they also meet in their congregating groups. And that's what the church tends to look like when it's gathered together like that. And so we have a mandate about our attitude when we turn up to worship. You know, the writer of the Hebrews is encouraging them to meet habitually as opposed to not being the habit of meeting together and asking people to consider how they, uh, what happens when they get together. Notice this. And let us consider how, so it's not accidental, it's considered. We've given it some thought. We consider, what can I do? What can I say? How can I encourage this particular person? Let us consider how we can spur each other on. That's a horse riding analogy, obviously, where the, where the horse is in the straight and the jockey is getting the horse going. We spur one another. What on for? For love and good deeds. We need to get to encourage each other to keep going, to, to fight the good fight, to hang in there, to keep on doing God's will wherever we might be. Not giving up the habit, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Don't go and get into a habit of not going to church. Get into a habit of going to church. So the Bible specifically says here, don't become a habitual person away from church. Conversely, it implies that we need to be habitually in church, it's got to be a part of our rhythm of life and habit. Don't be amongst the 78%. But encourage one another, just as you see the day approaching, encourage one another. We consider how we do that. So I believe that we need to come into church. We could have two mindsets. We can have a consumer mindset or we can have a contributor mindset. And I don't think that we're always just one or the other, that we... We're probably somewhere in between the two, but which, which end of the spectrum do you tend to be more like? Do you come with an attitude to be a contributor or to be a consumer? I believe we need to come to reverence God and to worship God, and I believe that we also need to come to encourage each other, and we need to consider how we do that. Now, I received a text message yesterday for a, from another clergy, and I... They must have been thinking about me. They might have known that I'd left our state conference exhausted one day early when they looked around and I wasn't at the Saturday business meeting. Somebody might have said he's completely tanked and gone home, which is what I did. 
absolutely exhausted, unable to continue to be in the conference for one more day, for one more session. Anyway, I got a letter, I got a note. It's a lovely PDF and it's got a beautiful picture of a wharf and going out and there's a boathouse at the end. And it was written to me, encouraged me, and I received this yesterday. Someone was thinking about me, somebody was praying for me, and somebody decided that they were thinking, how, how can I encourage this guy on to love and good works and continue on in ministry? So it's just got my name at the top of this, then there's this picture, and it's got Larry Galbraith, and I'll read it to you. It's a little bit embarrassing. My wife said she's going to have it read out at my funeral. I said to her, I'm very well, thank you. It's got Larry Galbraith, rugged rascal, the epitome of larrikinism with tasteful boundaries. No box or specific tribal distinctives, just a bloke who lives on the edge of naughtiness. Depository of blatant energy, unbridled life offered spontaneously with passion and conviction. Internal reserves that empower and encourage the other. A musical jester, a fiddler of, of somewhat renown, able to uke it with the best of them. A cultivator of musical community and comedy, highly valued. Fully on deck and engaged. Larry stands alongside mates, a fellow fisherman forever. Hopeful and persistent, attuned to the prevailing conditions with sensitive and compelling conviction. Larry, a yarning, chattering with jubilant hope, despite the weather. Those alongside distracted by health and culture, compelling yet funny stories. Larry, shed, important for shelter but outside wharf more significant for relationships. No judgment, simple, unabridged Aussie mateship, regardless of background or status. Larry, under the wharf, adventurer, connoisseur of behavioural science, solid human in God's space, resonant theology from disciplined mind, foundations critical. Larry, tidal awareness, ebb and flow etched in life's rhythm. Celebrated immensely as a leader who perseveres. Indeed, those who glimpse his posture are impacted substantially. Larry, a colleague, a friend, a collaborator of Kingdom Living. His service is valued, his legacy immense, thankful appreciation, wisdom brandished between the squid ink splattered on the wharf with sincere appreciation. Isn't that awesome? i got somebody out there who believes in me. i got somebody who out there who knows my story and the things I struggle with. i got somebody out there who must have spent hours thinking about me and praying over me and thinking, how can I encourage this guy? How can I spur him on to love and good works? I'm thinking, what can I say? What can I do? What can I invest into his life? And I woke up on a Saturday morning 
and that was in my messages. That's a contributor mindset, isn't it? That's a contributor mindset. There's somebody who says, not what can I get from Larry, but what can I give to Larry? Friends, we need to be contributors. We need to be lovers of each other. We need to be thinking constantly as we are better together on our collective worship experience on a Sunday. We need to come here purposefully to love and encourage each other and build each other up in the Lord. Get onto the ECC evenings, check out the list of, of things that are in the news about, of ways to encourage each other. And there's a whole list of them there, the one and other principles of the Bible. I've put a whole page of them in there. Have a look at them. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, we're better together and we're better together in worship. On our Sunday is a subset of a worshipful life. As one day where we put everything on hold, we take time out, we come and we build into each other's lives as contributors. We're here to serve, we're here to build up. And in the transactional place, Lord, of worshipping you, and building into each other's lives, somehow, Lord, we also receive. We receive from you and we receive from each other and we're richer as a community. Help us to continually to be like that in Jesus' name. Amen.